You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, it is great to see you this morning. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. So it would be helpful if you had that out and open on your lap, Matthew chapter 6. If this is your first time to be at Stonegate, thank you for being here this morning. And you have found yourself here on a Sunday morning where we're in part four of a set of sermons that we're calling Teach Us to Pray, where we are walking through the, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 together. Last week, if you were here, Valentine did a great job of working through petitions three and four. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you were here last week, I know that you were blessed by that and really benefited from that. The Lord really used him um, last week. This week, we are in petition number four. Petition number four. Let me read this passage to you, and then we'll jump in. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse nine, says this. Pray then like this. This is Jesus talking to us about how to pray. Luke 11, it's Lord, teach us how to pray. And this is what he says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. The old Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, when he was commenting on this prayer, he said, this prayer is a massive heap of gold. And I love that. I think there is so much truth in that, that it is a massive heap of gold. This is Jesus's answer to the question, how should we pray? I mean, if you've got like a couple of sentences to teach us on prayer, then tell us what you'd want us to know. And this is his answer to that. It's the most concise and comprehensive teaching on prayer in, in the Bible. Now, before we look at one more part in particular today, I want to just zoom out and address the whole prayer kind of together, that the whole kind of general look of the prayer for just a moment. You know, growing up, I was in settings and in situations where people would recite this whole prayer as their prayer. I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where that would happen. Um, so I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma. That was our normal kind of like, it's it's. The, the pregame pep talk just happened in our football like world here. And the last thing we would do is all say the Lord's Prayer is our prayer before we would run out onto the field. And so part of what that did for me in, in having moments where we would recite this prayer as our prayer is it just built into me the natural assumption that that would be the way we should pray, that we should pray as if reciting this prayer is how Jesus would want us to pray when we open our mouth to pray. You see the point? But contrary to that, I don't think that's Jesus' ambition in giving us this prayer. I don't think he's saying, hey, what I want you to do when you pray is to open your mouth and to repeat these 56 words I'm giving you here. I don't think that's the point that he's making. I don't think the point is Jesus saying, recite these words. I think the point of the prayer is to give us categories that should shape the way we begin to pray. Does that make sense? I don't think he's saying, Say exactly what I say here. I think he's saying, let me define the categories that should shape what you pray and how you pray. Let let me give you the categories for this. So let me just give you a for instance of this. Take hallowed be thy name. 
Um, it's the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. So just take that as an illustration. It's petition number one. Jesus is saying, when you pray, here's, here's part of what your prayer should, should be about. Hallowed be your name. God, our, our Father in heaven, we want your name to be hallowed. So is Jesus saying, when you pray, say these words? I don't think so. I think he's saying, here is a bucket for you to pray around. Here is something I want you to pray. And in your praying now, you can go explore it. I think when he's saying, hallowed be your name, he's saying, let me give your prayer a direction for you to go now pray. Let me set the course for your prayer. And then you go explore that whole territory called hallowed be your name. So if you're praying, hallowed be thy name, I don't think it's imperative that you recite, God, hallowed be your name. I think it's a chance for you to think about, is the main thing the right thing in my life? If it's not the right thing, if I've got the wrong thing as the main thing, I'm sabotaging my life. So when you're praying about hallowed be your name, it's a chance for you to evaluate yourself. Is the main thing the right thing? Is the main ambition in my life for the name of Jesus to be loved and cherished and adored and valued as his name should be by all people in all places? Is that the number one ambition of my life? And if not, the Lord's prayer, hallowed be your name, is a moment it's a reminder for you to repent and to reorient your life around the main thing. When you're praying for hallowed be your name, it's a chance for you to look around your life and to think about, where's the Lord's name not being hallowed? But I wanna pray for that. If you've got a friend that doesn't know Jesus yet, that's a chance for you to pray for a friend that doesn't know Jesus and is not hallowing God's name by surrendering their life to Jesus. It's a chance for you to look around at all the God-belittling moments that happen in and around you and to pray for those things. Did you see the point? It's not so much pray every word like Jesus is praying these words. It's a chance for us to take these categories and to make these categories the main categories in our prayers. Now, today we're in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. So the first half has three petitions. Um, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Three petitions that make up the first half. All of these are gigantic petitions. They're looking up at God and, and they're about God. Then you get to the second half of this prayer and there's three more petitions. And, and now we're, we're leaving like this view of just looking at God and now we're, we're bringing our level down to like a horizontal level and we're asking for things down here. The three petitions deal mainly with God. Three petitions deal mainly for what we need in our life. Hence, you get to the fourth one and here's how it goes. Petition number four, where we're gonna spend our time today. Verse 11. Right after he has prayed all of these gigantic things about the name and fame of God, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Petition number four, give us this day our daily bread. When we pray, Jesus is saying we should pray like this. There should be moments in our praying where we ask the Lord for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So I'm going to look at this petition uh, through a couple of different questions. Here's question number one. What are we asking? Question number two, how should this request shape our praying? Question number three, where should this request point us? So question number one, we'll deal with it first. What are we asking? When, when we say to the Lord, when we pray and ask the Lord, give us this day our daily bread, what are we asking? So let, let me start just by looking at the word bread. You see the word bread there? Give us this day our daily bread. What, what are we saying when we are asking for bread? What, what is that? Now, obviously, it has something to do with food, right? So something to do with like food and what we eat, but it has much more to do that, you know, with than just food. 
Um, let's go all the way back to your English class growing up. This is going to be a blast in the past. Some are going to be years back here to pull this out. Do you, do you remember in your English class what a synecdoche is? No, right? No, no nobody remembers that, right? It's a, liter, it's a form of, it's like a figure of speech where you use the part of something to refer to the whole of something. That's a synecdoche. You refer to a part of something are you refer to the whole of something by, by referring to the part. So let me just give you an illustration of this. If you pulled up in a brand new vehicle and I looked at you, you pulled up and you rolled down the window and I said, man, those are nice wheels. I love that. And saying those are nice wheels, I'm not saying, dude, I'm looking down at your tires. Those things are awesome. That's not what we're doing there, is it? We're using the part, wheels, to describe the whole of the car. Now, in the same way, that's what bread is doing. When we're praying, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, yes, bread is a part of, of that, but, but we're asking for much more than just bread. We're asking for everything we need to live our life on. We're, we're asking for all of these necessities that we need, things like food, things like shelter, things like closing, things like a job. We're asking for all of what makes life work, all of what, you know, you would, you would kind of loop under like, if life is going to go for you, you're going to need these things to make it go. When we're praying for our daily bread, we're saying, God, would you give us all of those things that will make our life go? All of these necessities in our life. Now, let me just point out one thing with the word bread. He uses the word bread, I think, for a reason. He could have used a lot of different things in there, but he uses the word bread. And I think there is something unique about the word bread in that it is dealing primarily with our needs, not primarily with every creature comfort you might ever want in your life, right? So that there is something about this request that is reminding us the simplicity, like the simple things in life are, are sufficient. That's urging us toward simplicity in our life, not complexity. Urging us toward less in our life, not more in our life. So there's something in that that I think the Lord wants us to have. When, when, when he's reminding us, pray like this, pray for your daily bread. He's reminding us. You can be content. You can really be content if you have the basic necessities of life. Isn't that so hard in our American culture that's convinced us if we don't have every creature comfort, we are somehow missing life? He's just reminding us, you don't have to have everything to be content. The simplicities of life are a gift from the Lord. I love how one pastor kind of summed up what we're asking in this petition. He says, in this petition, we're praying this. In your sovereign providence, O God, give us what we need. As you care for us, please provide us with the things we require for life in this world. Give, give us what we need. Give us the necessities, God. Get, what, what we need today, Lord, would you please give us what we need today? Question number two. How should this request shape our prayer life? So when we come before the God and we are pouring our heart out to the Lord in prayer, how should this particular request begin to shape what our prayer life looks like and sounds like? I'm gonna give you four ways that I think this should shape our prayer life. Way number one, how should it shape our prayer life? Number one, give us this day our daily bread should convince us that God actually cares about our daily needs, that he actually cares about us like that. Like what, what you need, the Lord actually cares about. Now, when you open up the Bible to read it, one of the most important things you can do every time you open up the Bible, every time you read a passage of scripture, one of the most important things you can do is ask this question. 
what does this teach us about God? So you read a verse in the Bible, you read a passage in the Bible, you read a page of the Bible, a chapter of the Bible, you read a book of the Bible. It's important for you to ask the question, what does this teach us about God? Every passage is teaching us something about God, many multiple things about God. But it's important that you ask that question. Now, there's a lot we could say about this particular passage, but one thing that when we pray, and the Lord is instructing us to pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. One thing that teaches us about God is that God actually cares for us that he cares for you, that he cares for me. He cares about the daily needs of your life and he cares about the daily needs of my life, that God actually does care about us. Now, this week when I was thinking about this and in particular like the order and the pattern of this prayer, it's really a mind-boggling thing to think about. I mean, just think about the pattern of this prayer. It starts off with these gigantic requests. Lord, we want your name to be hallowed. I mean, the, the, the main thing in the universe, you, we want you to be lifted up, seen, treasured, loved, adored, like you should be lifted up, seen, treasured, and adored. We want that. We want your kingdom to come. That's a massive prayer request. Implications are everywhere for that thing. We want your will to be done. Massive prayer request. And then I think in a really surprising sort of a twist, the next thing that Jesus says is, and oh, now pray for your daily needs. Pray that the Lord would meet you right there. Listen to how Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the greatest preachers of the last century, listen to how he uh, talks about this. He says, there is something extraordinary and wonderful about the connection between this request and the previous request. So we've got all of these massive things about God and then pray for your daily needs. There's something wonderful between these two, he's saying. Is not this alone one of the most wonderful things in the whole of Scripture? The fact that these two things exist together? That the God who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the God who is forming his eternal kingdom and who will usher it in at the end, the God to whom the nations are but as the small dust of the balance, that such a God should be prepared to consider your little needs and mine, even down to the minutest details in this matter of daily bread. But that is the teaching of our Lord everywhere. Isn't that something to consider? That this gigantic, big, huge, holy God Jesus is saying, that big, gigantic, huge, holy God, he cares about the burdens you brought in today. He cares about your daily needs. He cares about things as simple as you eating lunch today. That the Lord actually cares for that. Is that not mind-boggling to think about? That this God who literally holds the world in his hands, and by the way, this is what Christmas is about, right? I mean, this God who holds the world in his hands would come down to this earth in the form of a baby and literally put himself into our hands as an expression of how much he cares for you. That the Lord cares for you that way, all the way down to your daily bread, all the way down here to those little basic necessities that you need today if you're gonna survive. The Lord cares for even that. I mean, just feel that down deep for a second. That the Lord, I mean, God Almighty, cares for your, not just like that person over there, their life, but your life like that. I I was just thinking of of Psalm chapter um, eight, verse four this week, where David, he says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Isn't that a great question? And the answer to that is we're nothing that the Lord should care about us. 
We're, we're, it's, not, it's not us looking at us and seeing some sort of weird value in us that makes the Lord care for us. When we think about the Lord caring for us, just a simple man, the Lord caring for us, you know that should make us think about? The big-heartedness of God. That the Lord is big-hearted enough to look at you and me and to say, I care about every little detail of your life. Every little detail. I mean, this is Romans 8, 32, where, where the Lord says, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more than will he give us all things that we need? All things in your life. See, if you wanna know how much the Lord cares for you, look at the person and work of Jesus. It is the tangible proof of just how much God cares for you. Now, can we just take a moment to apply this and just to, to take a moment to ask the Spirit of God to press this into us. One reason that we stop praying is because we stop somewhere along the way of actually believing that God cares for us. I'm gonna say that one more time. One of the reasons that many of us in the room have stopped praying is because somewhere along the way, we have stopped believing that the Lord actually cares for us. That's the reason. You know, I, I think that we would actually be amazed in this room if we could all kind of crawl into one another's hearts and just kind of peek around at how many of us struggle to believe that the Lord cares about the small things in our life. I think many, I think we'd probably, all, I think you'd be amazed if you saw how hard it was for me to believe that so often. That the Lord actually cares about this small little thing that I've got going that feels like a big thing to me. I think we would be amazed at that. And, and I'm just praying that, that right now that we could all just have the Holy Spirit right now personally remind us in the places that we really need it right now, that the Lord really, really, really does care for you. He cares about your daily needs. Like the thing that you brought in this morning and you are stressing about. He cares about that. Th those pressure points that you feel right now in your life, the things in your life that are broken that you're asking for, for, for the Lord to redeem and to put back. Like he cares for those things. I mean, if there's like one thing the Bible over and over and over again is trying to show us is that God is big hearted. That God looks at us and he is not small hearted. He is, he's not unmoved by the things that we have going on in our life. But he's big hearted and that he is moved by the things we have going on in our life. Even the most mature in this room are in the shallow end of the pool of learning how big the heart of God is for us. God really, really, really does care about you. Just ask the Spirit of God to remind you of that right now. That he really, really, really does care for you. This is the first thing it should convince us of, that the Lord really does care for us. Here's the second thing, the second way it should shape our praying. When we, when we pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread, it should encourage us to ask, to ask the Lord for daily needs, to be people who ask the Lord, who in our prayer life are consistently asking the Lord for things, who, who all the time are asking, beating down the door of God. We're pestering God. We're asking continually. That, that that should be just saturating our prayer life, that we would be a people who ask. It should be convincing us of that. I love how Paul Miller talks about this in his book, A Praying Life. If you've never read it, I think it would be such a great encouragement to your prayer life. In that book, he says, if you want to sum up the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament on prayer in one word, here is the one word summation of the teaching of Jesus. Ask. Just Ask. Just be, be kids who come to your daddy with every need that you have 
and ask him for your needs. Be, be those sort of people. Treat God like a good daddy and ask him for everything in your life. That's the point, that we get to come to our daddy, our father. This is what the Lord's Prayer reminds us of as it starts. We get to come to our father who is big hearted and cares for us. And we get to ask him everything big and small in our life. And we get to come to our father who is in heaven, who not just, he didn't just love to give us good gifts, but he actually has the, you know, the power and the capacity to actually do the giving of good, of good gifts. He can do both of those. He loves to and he can. We're getting to pray to that God, our Father in heaven. It's just an invitation for us to ask the Lord, to be people who plead with the Lord for what it is that we need in our life. One of my favorite stories in the Bible has become uh, the story of blind Bartimaeus. You may remember this story. It's in Mark chapter 10. And here's the basic storyline of, of this particular little story. So Jesus is walking down a road and he's got a crowd in tow behind him. And uh, blind Bartimaeus, he is sitting by the edge of the road and he hears the commotion. Somebody's coming down the road and he learns that it's Jesus. And he knows that this Jesus is the Jesus who does miracles. Like he's the sort of, of, of God who can take a person that's blind and they can actually see. Like he, he knows this about Jesus. So as Jesus is coming by, it says that blind Bartimaeus, he just starts crying out for Jesus. He's he, just screaming at the top of his lungs. And in an ironic and sad and for me a very sobering moment, Jesus' very disciples take this man who is calling out for Jesus, trying to get to the one person that he needs, Jesus, and they try to turn him away. They try to quieten him down. They try to kind of stick him over there in the corner. They're like, blind Bartimaeus, that's Jesus, that's you. Why don't you stay over there? Isn't that a sad and sobering moment? Do you know that we have the capacity to do that with people? So he cries out to God. The disciples try to shove him down and it just says he cries out all the more. He didn't care what the disciples say. He cries out all the more and Jesus eventually brings him over. And I love the question that Jesus asked him. It's one of my favorite questions in the Bible. He looks at blind Bartimaeus and says, blind Bartimaeus, what do you need? What, what can I do for you? What do you need me to do for you? Now, can you just imagine for the moment the Lord asking you that question? Like this morning in your life, what is it that you need me to do for you? Like, what is it right now in your life that you need? Can you just imagine the Lord looking at you right now and saying to you, what, what is it right now in your life that you need? I'd love to hear you ask me that. I'd love for you to treat me like a dad. And I'd love for you to bring that request to me. I'd love for you to pour your heart out to me right now and ask me what it is that you need. Can you just imagine the Lord asking you that right now? What is it that you need? And if you remember how the story goes, blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, here's what I need. I need to see. That's what I need. And Jesus looks back at him and says, all right, done. You can see. And it says, blind Bartimaeus went home that day no longer blind. He went down seeing. He went out seeing. Now, can you just, can you just feel that for a minute? And just, just let's take a minute to apply this. Do you ever wonder how many things you're going without in your life just because you haven't asked the Lord for them? I mean, do you ever wonder how many things right now you're, you're doing without just because the Lord is saying, would you please ask me? I would love to come and do these things, but would you just ask me to do them? I mean, can you imagine how many things right now that you're doing without just because you haven't asked? 
See, and what, what this request is, give us this day our daily bread, is a reminder that the Lord wants us to ask. He, he loves it when we ask. He is oftentimes moved in the moment of our asking. But he loves for us to treat him like a daddy and come to him, lay our needs down before him and ask him for those needs. He loves it when we do that. Now, you know, when it comes to this idea of asking, uh, let me just paint a picture for you and, and try to apply this this way. If you just considered the road right here, and we'll just say this road is like asking in faith. If you consider this the, the, the road of a healthy prayer life, that we're coming to the Lord and we're asking things big and small of the Lord. We're asking the Lord to do things. We're, we're bringing our requests. We're bringing our needs. We're bringing our need for daily bread. We're bringing all of that to the Lord. And we're asking the Lord to move on these things. If, if this is the road of, of walking by faith and asking by faith, there's two ditches that I think we can fall into in our prayer life. One ditch we might call asking selfishly. This is James 4. So we're asking for things that have no connection to the mission and heart of God. That They're all about us. It is just an us sort of a thing. So it's, it's asking, but asking selfishly. That's this side. That's the ditch over here. The other side of the ditch is that we just don't ask. That like, this is asking. In fact, this is what the Lord is inviting us to, but we just have fallen into this ditch and we just don't ask the Lord for what it is that we need. We've just adopted kind of the policy in our, in our life that if we need something, we'll just kind of pull ourselves up by the bootstrap and we'll go make it happen. We don't, we don't ask the Lord for what we need. If these are the two ditches, I am convinced that most of the people in this room, this wouldn't be true for every church, but I think it would be true for our church, that, that most of the people in this room have fallen into the ditch and really set up a home in the ditch of just not asking. That we're just not asking the Lord. We're not, we're not bringing our request before the Lord and treating him like a dad enough. And, and I'm just praying that the Lord would use this passage to pull us out of that ditch, to get us out of the ditch of not asking and into the ditch, or like into the road, onto the road of like asking in faith and that we would be people who are bringing our request before the Lord. I mean, does, this, does that describe you? If not, just allow the Lord, ask the Lord right now to make you into that. That the Lord right now would be stirring up a way of praying where you would be consistently bringing your needs before the Lord. I love how John Newton in one of his hymns says it. He says, thou, thou art coming to a king. Like when you pray, that's who you're coming to, a king. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such that none can ever ask too much. None can ever ask too much. Do you know that about the Lord? You can never ask too much of the Lord. Things big and things small. So I think for a lot of us, we, we would feel more comfortable bringing big things to the, the Lord. Like, God, would you please bring world peace? We'd be more comfortable bringing that to the Lord than we're late for a meeting. Would you please open up a parking spot right in front of the building? As if that's the trivial thing that God wouldn't care about. And here's what this is reminding us of. God cares about both of them, big and small. I, I love how Charles Spurgeon says it. He says, ask large things of thy generous Lord. Leave not the throne of grace till all thy wants have been spread before the Lord. And I, I pray that we would start to get that, that we wouldn't leave our praying until all of our wants, all of our needs bred in our life, all of our needs are spread before the Lord and we're asking the Lord to come through and move on those things. Now, before we move on, I wanna, I wanna clarify two things. 
The first one is this. It is important that when we're asking the Lord that we remember the order of this prayer. The order is important to our asking. Maybe we could say it this way. The danger in asking for bread is that we'd get to bread too soon. So the order is important. So it starts like this. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're, we're praying about the name and the fame of God. We're, we're praying for those things. We're asking the Lord for those things. And then we pray for our bread. Then we pray for all of these things that we have going on in our, our life, all these pressure points, all these things we have going. Now, why is that order so important? Here's the reason. Because if you're anything like me, God, you know, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, can so easily drift into, hallowed be my name, my kingdom come, and my will be done. And before we begin to ask the Lord for all of these things we need, we need to make sure the main thing's the right thing, right? We need to make sure that our hearts have been recalibrated around the reason that we exist. We exist for God, the name of God, the fame of God, the kingdom of God. That's the reason that we exist. See, the Lord's Prayer, in particular, those first few petitions, have a way of sorting us out. Who is God to you? Here's who God is to me, our Father in heaven. That, that's God to me. It's the most important thing that has ever been said about me, that God is Father to me, I'm his son. But what's the main business of our life? Here's the main business of our life. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come and your will be done. That's why I exist. That's why I'm breathing right now is for those things to happen. And then when we get our hearts around those ambitions, we make the right thing, the, you know, the main thing, the right thing, then we are ready to spread out our request before the Lord and ask the Lord to move in our life. But that order is very important. Second clarification. I am just anticipating the objection that some of us feel when we um, hear uh, us talking about, give us this day our daily bread, when we hear like this encouragement toward ask the Lord for things. I'm just anticipating that objection that sounds like this. I've asked the Lord for a million things and he hadn't done it. I asked the Lord to heal my husband, my wife from cancer and he didn't do it. I asked the Lord to save my rebellious son or daughter and he didn't do it. And just a million other moments like that that happen in a fallen world, so I'm just anticipating that, that objection that is very emotional deep down in its core. There's a lot attached to that deep down in our core. And I wanna try to gently address it. There's so much more to be said about it, but I wanna just address it like this. And I wanna use a parenting analogy to address it. The, the most difficult thing about parenting, I, I think, is looking at your kids and helping them discern the difference between an actual need in their life and their interpretation of what they need in their life. See the difference? It's one of the most difficult things about parenting is, is helping kids discern an actual need from what they interpret as an actual need. Case in point, um, I have a six-year-old in my house. His name is Caleb. And Caleb, he has just been bent around video games for the last probably six months. He got a new football game, NCAA like 2014, and the, he just cannot put it down. It's every day. He I mean, he literally is working in this mindset right now that if I could spend 23 hours of every day playing this video game, I would do that. I would sacrifice sleep for it. I would sacrifice food for it. I don't care what it is. I'll sacrifice it if I can play the game. And so it, it creates this daily sort of a rhythm where he'll come to me and he'll ask something like this. Hey, hey, dad, you want to play some football today? I'm like, dude, that's brilliant. You're trying to loop me into that? No, we're not going to do that. No, I'm not going to play that. And then he'll say, Dad, Dad can, I, can I play it? 
No, you're not playing it today. And, and you just, it's clockwork. You can just anticipate a meltdown happens right in that moment. Now, what is going on in that moment? Here's what's happening. When he is interpreting his life, he is having a hard time seeing the difference between an actual need and this need that he perceives playing a video game in his life. Do you see the difference in that? That this is the main problem that he has in that moment. It's the reason that he would be frustrated with me when I say, Caleb, we're not playing a video game today. It's not going to happen. It's the reason that he is frustrated because in his life, he interprets that as, this is a need that I have. How could you say no to this right now? What are you doing right now? There's no way you're a good dad if you're saying no. Okay, now let's just play this forward. He's six, so obviously he's young. Surely he'll have that figured out by the time he's 15, right? And every parent of a teenager says no to that. They will not have it figured out when they get 15. Well, let's just go a few years down the road. Surely by the time they're 25, they'll have that figured out, right? No. That's the answer to that question. No. I'm 36. It's amazing when I look back and think about me as a 25-year-old person, how dumb I was. How unwise I It's amazing how ridiculous my 25-year-old mind worked in certain areas. And guess what? For our 50-year-olds, how wise was your 36-year-old version of you? Not very wise, was it? For our 75-year-olds, how unwise was that 50-year-old version of you? Not very wise in a lot of ways. You see the picture here? See, our problem is that we have a really hard time discerning what it is that we actually need in our life. And let's just get it out of comparing us to our, our you know, lesser versions of ourselves, And let's compare even the best version of our wisdom to the wisdom of God. And do you see the gap that exists? God is so often in our request in the position of saying to us, I would love to give you what you want, but the problem is you don't know what you need. That's the problem in your prayers right now. I would love to say yes. There's nothing that would delight my heart more in saying yes to what you're asking, but I can't say yes to what you're asking because what you feel like is a need is not an actual need. It's just your interpretation of a need. See, here, here is how the Lord deals with us in terms of our prayer life. He doesn't answer our prayer as we pray them, but he answers our prayer as if we were praying them in a wiser way. He answers our prayers as if we were praying them, being able to see the whole picture being able to see everything he sees. And aren't we grateful for that? Can, can you just look back in your life and just get a kind of a sense of, if the Lord would have answered every one of your prayers that you thought were a need in the moment, your life would have been a disaster. See, we all need the Lord to answer our prayers, not just as we pray them, but as we would pray them if we were actually as wise as God was as we were praying them. That's how we need the Lord to answer our prayer. And here's the thing, hear me on this. The Lord is committed to doing that in every one of our lives. He is committed to answering every one of our prayers as if we were ultimately wise when we were praying them. As if we were asking from a perspective that could see everything he could see. He is committed to asking them, or to answering all of our prayers like that. He's committed to that. He's committed to supplying every one of your needs. That means if you needed it right now and you were asking for it and you could see everything that God could see, if you needed it right now in terms of, of an actual need that God would see, you would have it right now. See, th this is what it means to treat God as a good daddy in your life. It means you stop holding him hostage to your interpretation of what you need and you submit to his interpretation of what you need, what, what it is that you actually need in your life. It means that you trust God like that, that, that you would trust that God is not, he is not saying no to your prayer because of ill will towards you or neglect towards you, but if he is saying no to your prayer, it's because there is a better yes behind that no. 
That is the only, the only way God will ever say no to your prayer is when there is a better yes behind that no for you. So it should shape our prayer life by urging us to ask, by, by urging us to get before the Lord and to pour our heart out before him. Here's the third thing. Give us this day our daily bread. It reveals our, our dependency upon the Lord. It reveals our dependency. It, it's, it's showing us that we need to pray with dependency right at the center of our praying. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, commenting on this, he says, the supreme folly of the 20th century, that's a big statement, the supreme folly, the biggest folly of this century, the, the biggest folly of the 20th century is the folly of thinking that because we have acquired a certain amount of knowledge of the laws of God, that we are independent of him. He goes on to say, we can, and just allow, ask the Lord to, to just press this into your soul. We cannot live for a day without him. We cannot live for a day, a single day. We cannot live for a single day without him. Now that is what this request is, is urging us to and, and showing us is we cannot live for a single day without the Lord. Look at these two words in this petition. Petition number four, starting at verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Look at the word give and then look at the word daily bread and ask yourself, what is the link between these two words? What are these two words together, give and daily bread, what are they meant to show us? By connecting these two words, the Lord is showing us our dependence upon him. He is saying, hey, do you know the things that you like need to make your life work today? Not just like for the next year of your life, but like for you to actually like go about and live today, like those sort of things that are going on in your life, like all of that category of thing in your life. Do you know those things? You are dependent upon the Lord giving those to you. If you're gonna have these things, if you're gonna survive this day, here's the only reason you're gonna survive it. It's because the Lord has given you what you need today. That, that's the reason. I mean, notice it, it doesn't say, hey, go out and earn these things from the Lord. It doesn't say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go find your daily bread today. No, it's saying, if you're gonna survive today, here's how you're gonna survive it. The Lord's going to give you what you need today. That's how you're gonna survive it. Now, if, if you want to test your dependency, if you want to see if you are living with an awareness of your dependency on God, or if you're just living kind of an independent, self-sufficient life out there, if you want to test that, the simplest way to test that is by looking at your prayer life. Prayerlessness and self-sufficiency. So put these two beside each other. Prayerlessness on one side, self-sufficiency on the other. These two things have an indirect relationship. If prayerfulness is there, self-sufficiency is low. It means you're dependent. If, if prayerless, you know, if you're prayerless in your life, it means self-sufficiency is high in your life. Prayer, it's an expression of dependence upon the sovereign and all-powerful Lord of the universe to meet the needs that you have. Prayer is an expression of you coming to God with hands up saying, God, give me, because if you don't give me, I'm dead today. That's prayer. Prayerlessness is an expression of our self-sufficiency. Prayerlessness is an expression of hands folded, looking up at God and saying, I think I've got what, it, what it, it's gonna take to kind of make today work. That, that's prayerlessness. It's self-sufficiency at its core. I, I love how Paul Miller connects these two. He's talking about how, you know, most people, if, if they're analyzing their life and recognizing that they're prayerless in their life, and then you ask the question, what do you need to grow in your prayer life? 
most people will answer with the word self-discipline. I just need more discipline. I just need to make myself do it. He's saying that's not true. He says it like this. You don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. All you need is to be poor in spirit. All you need is poverty of spirit. You see the connection between the two? See, if we're gonna be people who are really praying, we've gotta know that there is a give and there is a daily bread aspect to our life. And unless the Lord gives, we are not going to have what we need in our life. Let's just take it in parenting. If you're a parent in the room and you have kids, unless you know that your parenting is not ultimately dependent upon you, you'll never pray. Because you'll think that your good work and like your good wisdom in parenting, that's all your kid's gonna need. And can we just have like a newsflash? Your kid needs all or a lot more than your good parenting. Your kid needs the spirit of God to make a dead heart alive in him or her. Think of if you're a single in the room. If you're a single and you wanna do a single life well, you wanna live well for Jesus, the only way that will ever happen is if you're praying. And if you're not praying about the Lord to give you everything that you're gonna need to live well as a single person, it is showing that you really think you have what you need to live well as a single person. Let's just take sin in our life. We all battle sin in a multitude of ways in this room. We all have our particular hangups. And your prayer life is showing you something about sin in your life. When we're prayerful about it, it is showing us that we know that there is a give me component to fighting sin. If the Lord does not give us the grace we need today to fight sin, that we're doomed in our life. But our prayerlessness in our life is showing us that we really think we've got what it needs not to wreck our life. Good luck with that. Right? Do you see that connection? Give and daily bread is showing us just how dependent we are upon that Lord. Now, I, I, just, I, I think there's a lot of us in the room who right now could just use the Holy Spirit to remind us for our daily, like today, for our daily needs, there is a give me aspect to that. It is the Lord who gives that. Yes, he uses our work. Yes, he uses our wisdom. But apart from the Lord giving, we die today. It reveals our dependency. And lastly, when you're thinking about how it shapes your praying, it pushes our prayers toward other people. It pushes our prayers toward other people. Let me read verse 11 one more time. Give us this day our daily bread. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It does not say, give me this day my daily bread. It doesn't do that. And in using the word us, it is showing us something. It is showing us that our prayers should be bent around the needs of other people. That yes, we should be bringing things big and small to our Father and, and pray, spreading those out before the Lord and praying for those. And at the same time, yes, we should be bringing our needs of our brothers and sisters before the Lord and praying for those. So yes, there is a pray for yourself component, but yes, there is a communal component. There is a praying for our church family that should be happening there. Just look at your life right now. Are you praying consistently for your home group? If not, you are not living in this petition. Are you praying consistently for your family? If not, you're not living in this petition. Are you praying for other people like that? For people who don't know Jesus? If not, you're not living yet in this petition. It's an invitation for us. The Lord is drawing us out of ourselves and saying, hey, this is not just about you and your needs. This is about our needs. This is about what people around you need. But this, this petition doesn't just bend our prayers around other people. It also bends our life around other people. It bends our bread around other people. Let me, let me just picture this scene. Just imagine you're a person who you're praying for daily bread and the Lord's giving it to you. You've got your bread for today. 
You get to be thankful for today. You pray for it again tomorrow. God, give me the daily bread. He gives it to you today. And then all of a sudden, one day you're praying for it and the Lord dumps like a decade portion on your life. Just right there in your lap, a decade's portion of bread. Like you've got bread that's literally gonna last you for the next 10 years of your life. Now there's two things that you can do in that moment. One is you can allow the abundance of bread that the Lord just dropped down in your lap. You prayed for it and the Lord just, bam, he gave it to you. You can allow that abundance of bread to be an answer to this prayer for other people. You can be a conduit of grace. You can then look at your life and say, man, if the Lord just gave me a decade portion, it's probably because there are like a decade's worth of people around me that need some daily bread. So I probably ought to have my eyes open to like these daily needs around me. We can open our eyes like that and be a means of answering this prayer for the sake of other people. Or here's the other option. We can store up our bread. I've got a decade's portion. I don't have to worry about a thing for the next decade. We can go that route. Now the Bible in Luke 12 has a name for this person. And that person's name is a fool. That's his name in Luke 12. It's a fool. Like part of what this, this request is saying to us is, if the Lord dumps a decade portion on your laps, a, a century's portion on your lap, a four-week portion on your lap, that our mindset should not be a stored-up mindset. That should not be our default sort of heart response is how do we pad our life with everything we need. But the default heart response should be something around this idea of, man, I want to be an answer to this prayer for other people that this prayer should be moving us out of ourself and to others. Man, what a great time of the year to think about that. Um, I, I was uh, meeting with a couple just here recently, and they said, you know, the Lord has given us more than a day's portion. And if there's people this Christmas who need things, we would love to be a means of answering that prayer for them. I love that. Man, I'm praying that more of us would think like that in our life. Lastly, and we'll end with this. Where should this request point us in our life? So it should shape our praying, no doubt. It should flavor our praying in very deep and profound ways. But where should this request ultimately point us in our life? Now, when you're reading the Bible, it is definitely important to ask yourself the question, what do I learn about God in this passage? Another very important question to ask is, where do I see Jesus in this passage? In every page, in every passage of the scriptures, Jesus is there, you just have to go looking for him. So we need to ask that question, where, where do I see Jesus in, in this passage? When we read the request, give us this day our daily bread, its ultimate aim is to point us past our daily bread to a person, namely the person who calls himself the bread of life. See, when we read this passage and we come to this point of give us this day our daily bread, it's meant to lift our eyes, ultimately to lift our eyes above the needs in our life, the temporal needs in our life, to the eternal needs in our life. It's meant to raise our eyes up so that we can actually see a person who calls himself the bread of life in John chapter six. The person who says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's what this passage is ultimately meant to point us to. Now, later in John chapter 10, verse 10, this same Jesus who calls himself the bread of life says, I have come to give you life and life to the full. Now that is showing us, John 10, 10 is showing us that there's really two ways to be alive. Here's way number one. You might call it like existing. You're not dead physically, but you're alive. You're existing. And there is a certain bread we need to exist in our life. It's called daily bread. You need the Lord to give you food and provision so that you don't die like today, right? 
It's daily bread. If we're going to exist, we need daily bread. But there is another way of living. It's life and life to the full. It's like this rich and robust life that is full of depth and meaning. And if we want to live like that, that in that sort of a life, it requires more than daily bread, right? Daily bread is not the doorway into that sort of a life. Daily bread is great for existing, but daily bread will never allow us to experience life and life to the full. For that, we need the bread of life. For that, only Jesus can satisfy. For that, only Jesus can walk us into it. He is the only way into that sort of life that we would all love to be living, that we all dream of. He is the only way into that sort of a life. So the question becomes, and we'll end here, what does it mean to come to Jesus as the bread of life? to believe in Jesus as the bread of life. What, what does that mean to come to him like that? H have you ever been so hungry that you could just like, I mean, eat anything? You ever been there before? Um, when I was a student pastor, um, I, I, we had a group of interns and we were teaching them what fasting was. So we kind of worked through the material of it and then we, uh, we practiced it. So we had a 24 hour period where we didn't fast. And uh, so I, as we do that 24 hour period, we met at my house to finish that 24 hour fast. And uh, we prayed together and then, you know, everybody brought food and we we're going to eat together. So one of the guys brought a 12-inch frozen pizza. You know what I'm saying? Like the Tony's pizza, just 12-inch frozen pizza. This is how he's going with the fast. He's going healthy for his way out of this thing. And uh, I remember we, we finished praying and uh, it's time. We're about to eat. And uh, he rips the paper, off, you know, the plastic wrapping off this thing. And uh, I'm thinking he's about to put that in the oven. And there's no time for an oven. He just starts gnawing on this frozen pizza. He did, I mean, he goes for it. I mean, there's no time to wait to cook the thing. Now, that is a very sloppy picture of what it means to come to Jesus as the bread of life. It means that you're dying of hunger. And here's the one that you know can satisfy you. So you come to Jesus as that one who can satisfy the deepest aches of your heart. It's like you're thirsting to death and you stumble to a stream and you just plunge your head in and you drink to your heart's delight. That's what it means to come to, to the bread of life. And that is ultimately what this passage is inviting every one of us to. Amen? Let's pray together. I want to give you just a second to allow the Spirit of God to press into you the things that would be most helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. And... <clears throat> And there are some in this room who you've never had that decisive moment where you've stepped across the line of faith. And you've never had that moment where you have come to Jesus as the bread of life, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection to be the thing that quenches that deep soul thirst that's in you. You've believed things about Jesus. You've believed his life, death, and resurrection. But you've never come to him as the spring Dipped your, you know, dipped your head, plunged your head in and drunk until your heart is full. You've never done that. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means we come to him as the one who can satisfy our soul through his perfect life, his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And if you've never done that, this request is offering you that invitation.
that today a big-hearted God stands ready, arms wide open to receive you into his family, to call you a son or daughter. What does it mean to do that? It means that we turn from our sin and we throw our life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus as the one who will satisfy. If you've never done that, man, what a great day for that. And don't leave here apart from doing that. If that's you, grab one of those cards under your seat, check, fill out that black section, check that box on establishing a relationship with Jesus, and we would love to follow up with you. Don't, don't, if that's you this morning, don't leave here without letting someone know. I'm gonna be up here right when we finish. Don't leave without letting someone know that you've made a decisive decision for Jesus today. For others in the room, I am I'm just asking the Lord right now to remind you that he cares for you. When we stop believing the Lord cares for us, we all stop praying. And there are so many in this room who life is hard right now, and we need to be reminded that in that difficulty, there is a big-hearted God who is right there with you. Can, can you just imagine that big-hearted God looking at you now and saying, what, what do you need me to do for you? What do you need me to do? And just there where you are, why don't you pour your heart out to the Lord? If you want one of us to pray with you, we'll have a team of people over at the prayer table in the back. We'd love to serve you in that way. What do you need me to do for you today? Father, we are thankful that you are a God who is our daddy and is big-hearted like that toward us, who loves for us to bring our requests to you, loves for us to ask, and, and ultimately that you're a God who is all-powerful, who can actually give us what we need, who can actually do the things in our life that we need. So Lord, will you help us to trust you in that? Lord, if we've received no's from you, Lord, will you help us believe that behind that no, there is a better yes? Lord, would you help us treat you like a daddy who, who loves us and cares for us? That we trust with our prayers? So Father, I pray that you would help us now. And it's in your good name we ask that. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.